Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm excited to be joined today by Michael Shikashio to talk about muzzles. So this might seem like a strange place for a conservation detection dog podcast to start, um, but I hope it's going to make sense soon. Um, first, we've got a couple housekeeping things. Um, as you probably know, our Canine Conservationists podcast is brought to you by Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data. You can support the work we do here by joining us on Patreon or donating at canineconservationists.org. You'll find both of those links in the show notes. If you don't have the money but still want to support us, consider reviewing the podcast or sharing it with a friend. So Michael Shikashio is a pretty amazing guy who wears a lot of hats. Um, he's perhaps best known for being a world expert in aggression in dogs. He teaches the fabulous Aggression in Dogs Master Course, um, works with aggressivedog.com, and he organizes the Aggression in Dogs Conference and really excels at bringing together a diverse range of lenses through which to view dog behavior. It's really one of my favorite things about his podcast, By the End of the Dog. Um, Michael also runs the Muzzle Up Project, which is why we're talking today about muzzle training. So I'll drop in the links to all of the various places you can find Michael in our show notes again. Um, and you can also find him over on Clubhouse. So be sure to join him over there if you have started dabbling around in that app. So Michael, we were talking a little bit before we got on about why um, I wanted to talk about muzzles for a conservation dog podcast. Um, so just to recap for our listeners who um, missed that part, the basic idea is with a conservation detection dog, you are in a lot of cases expecting a very highly driven dog to be working off leash in the wilderness, often in the presence of an endangered animal. Um, you know, not always, sometimes we're working um, at like a boat ramp, just searching boats for an invasive species of mussel or something like that. But in a lot of cases, you've got dogs that you've selected for really, really high drive, really high ball drive, which often does correlate with prey drive, especially in some breeds. Um, and you're expecting to have them off leash in areas where I think for the general public, we would just tell them to leash their dog or not bring their dog there at all because it's a known area for um, an endangered animal. Um, and one of the things I've found really interesting about the industry here in the US in particular is that muzzles just don't seem to be used very much in the line of work. And in talking to a couple of other handlers and trainers, it seems like there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about how to get the dogs to really wear the muzzles comfortably in the long run. So this is going to be a pretty broad conversation about getting dogs to wear muzzles comfortably in the long run, but also hopefully is going to be really um, helpful for our, our, our very specific audience here. So let's talk a little bit about kind of as far as uh, prevention or protective tool where where muzzles can be really useful and if there's anything else that we should be considering as a way to keep um, keep other animals safe from a dog. Yeah, so this is a really nice detour for me to talk about mm -hmm. conservation dogs rather than dogs that are trying to bite and kill things all the time. So thanks for bringing me on. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure I'm going to learn something here as well. Uh, yeah, so muzzles, you know, when we're when we're talking about muzzles, typically people think it's for dogs that are maybe going to bite somebody, but that's mm -hmm. not the only reason we would use a muzzle. You know, it's one of the more common reasons, of course, but they mm -hmm. can be used for dogs that, for instance, have a tough time not eating stuff off the ground. <laughs> So things mm -hmm. that you know, there are there are conditions which um, some dogs will actually seek out whatever they can eat and put in their belly, and that can be life threatening in some in some 
examples. So mm-hmm. it's good to have to prevent that. And a muzzle can be a very good deterrent to that. So the dog can't physically swallow something with a muzzle on in most cases. Uh, you might even use it for dogs that they don't have any history of aggression, but we're putting in them in a situation where there could be a potential for a bite. So every mm-hmm. dog who has teeth has the potential to bite. So mm-hmm. we might have situations where a dog is frightened or uh, maybe it's an emergency scenario where we've got to transport them, state of emergency happens, or the dog has been injured. There's lots of scenarios where we would hope never happen to a dog, but can come up in the future. And any dog that's really frightened or scared could potentially bite. So it's always a good to have as an extra safe layer of safety for those just-in-case mm-hmm. moments. So um, we use them sometimes when we're introducing new dogs that we don't have a history of, of how they are with other dogs. And they're displaying pro-social body language. It's not to say we're just throwing dogs into a gladiator ring and putting <laughs> muzzles on them, right? We're using them to safely uh, just if we don't have any history and we're seeing good body language it can be a good initial step just to prevent any kind of injuries or escalation for those type of scenarios uh, they can be great even for, for dogs that uh, are fearful of people and, they, and people and that are really cute and fluffy dogs too i find this works well for mm-hmm. so the dogs that are irresistible and people can't help themselves to get closer and to stare at the dog or reach out uh, a muzzle can be a good universal signal that says hey you know Maybe you shouldn't pet this Maybe dog not. or go near this dog. For, for most cases, we all know the people that still can't resist that. But it can be helpful for the dog as a signal to help uh, keep other people away from that particular dog uh, as they're learning to navigate the world. So there are lots and lots of different uh, reasons we can use muzzles. It's, it's not just for dogs who bite. Yeah, definitely. There's so much variety in different types and shapes of muzzles. So can we talk a little bit about um, some of the different types of muzzles that are available and what may um, make the most sense given that we want a dog to be able to wear it comfortably and pant and ideally, um, you know, with a conservation detection dog, we still want them to be able to scent well. Absolutely. So the three things I look for in muzzles when I'm considering a muzzle for a particular dog is comfort for the dog. Mm-hmm. So it's got the, we want the dog to be as most comfortable as possible wearing that particular muzzle. Safety for whatever the reason we're using it for. So if it's a dog that does have a bite history, is it going to be safe enough for that particular dog and their bite history? Or is it going to be safe enough so that they physically can't get things through the front of the muzzle to swallow a rock or something like that? And the last thing I look at is function. How functional is the dog with mm-hmm. that particular muzzle on for the tasks that we're looking to do so is it a dog that well conservation dog are they going to be able to use their their gear their nose uh, in mm-hmm. the way we want them to with the muzzle on um or for a dog that's going out for a stroll and uh, you know maybe a brachycephalic breathe are they going to be able to breathe normally with that muzzle on so functioning of the dog's normal behaviors is really important so those are the three things i look for and then what you're going to see with different types of muzzles is first you're going to see the different types of materials we could talk about that so there's Mm -hmm. different um, materials depending on what you're looking for in those three categories you know comfort safety and function Um, you have everything from leather to biothane to metal to vinyl uh, rubber i've seen all kinds of different materials plastic hard plastic soft plastic uh, very soft sleeve Mm -hmm. uh, almost suede like material Uh, i've seen things that where it looks like a a duck bill and all these kind of other really interesting, <laughs> yes. um, you know, materials that they use for muzzles. But um, based on the material, that's going to often dictate what kind of uh, it's going to play a role in the safety 
the function and uh, the comfort for the dog. So uh, you're going to look at the weight of that material first. So things like metal, of course, are going to be much heavier. So you're going to discount some often comfort for the dog if it's a heavier muzzle, especially if it's a dog that is not used to wearing something like that. But you're going to get a lot more safety with something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. But if I'm going to look for something that I want the dog to have more function and more comfort with, but less safety, I might look at something like Biothane. And we can talk about mm -hmm. some of the brands of muzzles in a moment. But Biothane is going to be a lot more lightweight. It's bendable. It's breathable much more so than um, some of the other styles and uh, material because we're not necessarily closing off the muzzle completely. Uh, so, um, and it's very, you can, you can act, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, custom fit those those that material much more so than mm. some of the other materials uh, and then you have in betweens hard plastic you're going to have higher safety level generally lighter weight uh, but might not be as safe as some of the other metal style brand muzzles so those are the categories I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. um, so material, and then you're going to look at the construction of it. So whether you're using leather or biothane or metal, um, just how that's the construction is going to allow for those three criteria I was just mentioning, you know, so mm -hmm. is it got an extra safety strap? Is it meaning a, a strap that goes over the dog's uh, top of the dog's head, which adds a second attachment point for the dogs that have a tendency to try to slip the muzzle off or pull the muzzle off. So, um, you know, the, the construction of the muzzle is also very important for me from, for all of those from a functioning standpoint of safety and a comfort for the dog. So look at the construction, um, of the muzzle when you're kind of deciding mm -hmm. uh, and, and we can certainly talk about brands of muzzles. So, um, uh, I don't know if you have another question that goes next after the kind of the, um, what to look yeah, for. I think, I think it would be good to, yeah, we can talk about some muzzles and I think also just kind of drawing out that specifically, um, and just kind of underlining for our listeners, I think the biggest thing that I would want to make sure people know is that we're not talking about like a sleeve muzzle here, um, uh, where that is actually going to kind of clamp the dog's nose closed. Um, while that might be useful for something like a veterinary visit, I would imagine, you know, in kind of like an emergency situation where you're just going to kind of slip it on the dog, hopefully get whatever needs to happen done and then take it off. Um, they're okay for that sort of thing. But for our purposes, we're definitely talking more about, I think, generally like a basket style muzzle, right? Yes. Yeah. So any muzzle that will, for the sake of this show, I'm, I'm guess mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about, you know, duration muzzle. So a muzzle that the dog's going to be wearing for more than just a few minutes at mm -hmm. most. So yeah, those sleeve muzzles are, are not my favorite. Again, good for a quick groomer mm -hmm. visit nail trim slash injection at the vet office so you just need something for safety for just a brief moment but they restrict breathing they're very uncomfortable for most dogs because the dog can't open their mouth and they're not actually that safe for some of the muscles vinyl muscles the dog can still bite often with the front of their teeth if the muscles not fit exactly right so um yeah. be careful with that style of muzzle yeah yeah i've always wondered a little bit about how well they could still get you with their incisors yeah, it's, I've seen it happen, so <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, you have to be careful. Yeah, yeah, we'd rather not. So, yeah, do you have any um, kind of muzzle brands in particular that you um, like to point your clients toward or anyone that we should be thinking about? Yeah, so, you know, you also want to consider costs, of course, with some yes. clients. Who would, you, would, you know, muzzles can get expensive when you start looking at certain brands. 
uh, you know, the, the price range for muzzles is going to end be anywhere from a few dollars. You can go on Amazon and get these full sets of plastic Italian style basket muzzles for like 20 bucks for like six or seven muzzles, which is really cheap. And, you know, you got to keep that in mind. They are cheap <laughs> and uh, all the way up to several hundred dollars for a custom fit, you know, custom built muzzle. So uh, I like, you know, for most dogs, I'm going with the Baskerville ultra muzzle because it's, mm-hmm readily available it fits most dogs you can you can change the shape of that muzzle by boiling in hot water and uh like a mouthpiece you can shape this uh, the size and the fit of that muzzle more um it's you got the extra top strap so it's got a safety strap they recently redesigned that muzzle as well where you it's got a quick clip instead of the previously had like a buckle loop style neck strap Mm. which was Mm. a little more difficult to put on but the new quick clip makes it a little easier and they've got a floating head strap attachment now it previously used used to have to find this tiny little hole in the neck strap with the little lobster clasp and that was you know it took forever to figure that out uh, but they've changed it now so that f- that head strap just naturally floats on the neck strap so you don't have to adjust that mm-hmm. so it's so it fits most dogs i will say though that it is not 100 percent bite proof so you have to be careful if you've got a bite risk dog uh, that's a high level bite risk the baskerville is not going to afford you the same amount of safety as say like a metal um, style muzzle um, that is that is you know wire caged uh, with a leather um, comfort fit nose strap underneath, those are going to be much safer for dogs. Mm-hmm. But Baskerville is very—it's uh, you can get a Baskerville around the twenty-dollar, you know, depending on where you live, fifteen to thirty-dollar range uh, for okay. a Baskerville Ultra Muzzle. So uh, that's usually my go-to. I will also lean towards the Jafco muzzles. So J A F C O mm-hmm. is a very popular muzzle as well. That one has uh, for longer snouts like German Shepherds, Dobermans. I find that one works out better for sometimes that one also comes with a head strap if you want that added uh safety so the dog can't slip it off as easily um they also make a clear plastic version so you can see the dog's communication signals more than if it's a opaque or darker colored muzzle um they also make one with a treat hole so it's got like a about a one and a half one and a quarter inch size so uh, hole in the front if you're using food uh in your training and the dog can take food through that. You can use a food tube or um, other type of long feeder uh, type. If you're using food as reinforcers, you can get the food in the muzzle a lot easier than if it's just a single treat. So I do like the Jafco a lot for those. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I will branch out to some of the other uh, companies, the other brands of muzzles, depending on the case I have. Uh, if I'm looking for a custom fit muzzle, um, I recommend Bumas, B-U-M-A-S. They are mm-hmm. uh, a company based in Austria, but they have locations. I, they have a U.S. location now. They are fully custom fit. You get everything in biothane, and they can do it for brachycephalic breeds, for real tiny dogs. They can do it for dogs the size of a horse. I've seen mm-hmm. they've sent me samples. Of one of the muzzles is literally you could fit a small dog inside the muzzle. It's so big. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so they can do a custom fit for really any size. That's why I, I like them for um, – for those custom fits they can do different colors and the nice thing about the colors the different colors is that they have the bright like neon colors you can get or you can really pick any uh, design you want and it softens the look of it so you can yeah kind of remove some of the hannibal lecter effect that you get with some of the the wire cage or some of the black muzzles and so softens the look of it it's very comfortable very lightweight they are pricey though and they do take mm-hmm. some time to get um, there's another company it's called, I'm going to give Amy 
Amy C. a shout out here, Trust mm-hmm. Your Dog, so trust-your-dog.com. She also makes custom muzzles, so she makes them both in the uh, biothane style and also the, the shell plastic style that the Jafco company also makes. Mm-hmm. So she can do one of those custom as well. And um, so I've seen you know the, the muzzles she's putting out, so it's great that there's an additional option for custom fit muzzles out there because both companies, <laughs> from what I understand, there is a decent amount of wait time because there is a high demand for those mm-hmm. custom fit muzzles. So those are my probably top three recommendations. There are quite a few other styles and brands I recommend, but that's typically the, my go-to for most cases. Yeah. Do you have any, I think a lot of the, um, I know New Zealand, as I mentioned, their conservation dogs seem to wear muzzles quite a bit. Um, and that's primarily, they they deal a lot with like ground nesting endangered birds, um, you know, our kiwis and our cockapos. Um, and um, so they do, it seems like they're often having the dogs wear more of kind of a metal sighthound sort of muzzle. Do you have any places that you like going for those? Um, or do you just not use them all that much because they are so heavy? I don't often go to those. I, I will. Um, there are a few different sites that I usually refer to. I mean, Amazon's the easiest for most people mm-hmm. around the world. It's you know to get. Generally, though, Amazon's selling the the plastic Italian bla- plastic. Uh, they call them Italian basket muzzles, or the um, it's kind of the light brown colored muzzles. They're plastic. Those can work in a lot yeah. of cases. I find though that the fit. You really have to go much bigger than what you think you do, and that's the mm. that's the trend more now. Is um, you know, ideally, the fit of a muzzle, the dog should be able to hold the tennis ball in their mouth with the muzzle on. So that's when you know you have the right circumference around the muzzle because especially mm-hmm. a conservation dog they're going to be working they're going to be panting we want to make sure they can open mouth pants and have really full freedom of movement of their mouth to uh, to do their job and so i look for that fit and those italian plastic muzzles don't allow quite that open mouth so you really want to go super wide and um and especially if it's a conservation dog, you're not necessarily worried about the dog being a uh, dangerous bite risk. So you yeah. have a little more luxury in them with the fit uh, of, of them. You're not worried about like somebody's tiny hand sneaking into the muzzle or something like that uh, with that in that regard. So um, yeah. And so for like going back to the sighthound muzzles, um, there are a few sites. The, the one that I recommend now it's right at the top of my head, but I can't, you know, when you, when somebody asks you to recommend these things, you can't remember. Um, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of it, but there, there's, it's a company that makes also a lot of other uh, metal style muzzles as well, but they have quite a few different muzzles. Why can't I think of it? I'll, I'll come up with it before okay, the show ends. Yeah, we'll, so I can we'll, give, it, we'll give them a shout the out. Yeah. <laughs> but that they have a lot of great muzzles. They'd have a lot of working dog muzzles as well uh, mm, okay. for dog, for, client or for pet owners that like to do sport bite sports with their dogs so mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> i'm thinking right now that's because okay. i talk about them all the time yeah we'll get it in there so, um go ahead so yeah the, so uh you know again it's i don't stick to just those few but i do use them quite often because of the work mm-hmm. i'm doing so if it's for something else like conservation dogs i might look at other aspects of the muzzle like making sure that they can get full use of their nose so it'd probably be a lot yeah. less restrictive on the airflow that's going through there mm-hmm. um, with lots more open spaces. So something like the Baskerville style where it's a much more wider openings in it that's going to allow for full use of uh, airflow in there. I think it's important. Definitely. It would be important, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And I would say, you know, similar to any time you're having a dog wear a muzzle, hopefully we're also implementing all sorts of good management to avoid needing to rely on the muzzle too much anyway. But I know, um, you know, having handled conservation dogs out for uh, a couple of years now, I think there's, I can only think of one instance where I kind of wished that the dog had been wearing a muzzle. Um, I was working in a black-footed uh, ferret project and uh, the dog kind of put his head down a, a burrow and came up with a piece of cloth in his mouth that I at first thought was mm. was one of the critters. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know whether it was a prairie dog or a ferret. And again, it turned out to be a piece of fabric. But that's kind of the only time over two years that I had really wished that I'd had a muzzle on the dog that I was working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know, um, I know for me personally, I always have felt really confident getting a dog comfortable putting their nose into a muzzle and kind of wearing it for a little bit. Um, although I think we'll still go over that for our listeners here in case that's something they're not as familiar with. Um, but what I would really like to talk about is kind of helping dogs get comfortable wearing muzzles for a longer period of time. Um, I know I still, my dog Barley, um, and we haven't been great about muzzle training with him, um, but to this day, he still thinks he can't urinate with a muzzle on. Um, he'll walk and wear it for a couple, <laughs> for like five or 10 minutes pretty comfortably at a time, but, um, but he, he thinks he can't pee with it on. <laughs> so, um, so there's some, definitely some selfishness behind these questions here. So let's talk about some of, I know you've got some really interesting um, ideas for helping get a dog started wearing a muzzle. Um, and let's just start there. Yeah. It's, so it's all about creating positive associations when it comes to muzzling. We want to make sure that the dog, and this is really, really important because most dogs, you don't have to rush the muzzling process. There are some cases where there's an argument like we've got to get a muzzle on much sooner than later mm-hmm. in the program, but most dogs, there's no rush. You have time. And that's really important if, is to take your time because I find that once there's a negative association and that happens when we just slap a muzzle on a dog and they, they feel like they're restricted or they feel like what is, it's like a straight jacket, you know, they, mm-hmm. they can't do normal things, at least in their mind. That's where you run the most risk of it taking a lot longer and having to troubleshoot and problem solve later on. So uh, I always recommend taking time, just, just take a moment to get the plan right and go at the dog's pace. So Mm -hmm. each dog is different. I've acclimated dogs to muzzles in five minutes and some dogs it's taken five months, depending on the dog. Mm -hmm. So, and those are of course, extreme rare cases where it takes that long, but it's, it's important to go at the dog's pace. So what, what most good muzzle acclimation programs will include is the use of food. So we're pairing Mm -hmm. the sight or having the muzzle on or all things really related to the muzzle with good things happening. And usually it's food. You can incorporate other activities sometimes in, with some cases where food's not an option. So you say you have a, a dog that's not super food motivated or a dog that is sort of um, has dietary restrictions or things, we could use other activities you know, mm-hmm. that uh, predict, you know, are predicted by having the muzzle come out. Uh, so whether it's play or hikes or car rides or whatever the dog likes, if that comes, the muzzle comes out right before the dog gets to engage in that super fun activity, and that doesn't mean strapping the muzzle on. It could just be like, all right, I took this muzzle out, you saw it, and now we're going to go for a walk. And then the dog will start to associate that the muzzle coming out predicts walks. And yeah. then you start to gradually like, okay, you're going to put the, your nose in this thing before we go for the walk. And it's the same thing done with food. You're, you're acclimating the dog to say, okay, anything you do with this muzzle, whether you put your nose in it or you see it at first, we're going to make sure good things happen for you after you do that. 
and then you gradually increase the duration of the time mm-hmm. and the, the steps in that process. So depending on the dog, you might have them put their nose in the muzzle longer. You might be feeding them through the muzzle, or you might even be putting soft food items inside the muzzle, like peanut butter or spray cheese or other soft dog food or cat food even inside the muzzle so that the dog's going in there. Now, there, there are dogs you have to be careful when you do that, and I'll explain that in a moment. But it's all about just getting the dog to really, really be comfortable, like putting their nose in there, having a good time with the muzzle on because you're going to eventually want to put the muzzle on, put the neck strap on and all that stuff. And we'll get to that step in just a moment, but just want to back step or backpedal to the, why you want to be careful with putting food inside a muzzle. Mm -hmm. If you have a dog that has a tendency to resource guard food items, like they have a history of like guarding a stuffed Kong toy that had peanut butter in it or their food bowl, uh, even if at a minimal level, maybe they just growled or lifted their lip or something like that. You want to be careful with doing any kind of smearing food inside a muzzle, especially if you're using like something uh, like a food bowl or a, the box of the muzzle to just hold the muzzle. And I show that in one of my videos mm-hmm. where the, the box is actually used just as a muzzle holder. It makes it really easy to acclimate the dog, but just make sure it's not a resource guarding dog because what can happen is they're they might start resource guarding the muzzle because it's always got really yummy food in it. Um, so just be careful with that. If you have a dog like that, you always want them to, uh, you always want to present the food outside the muzzle. So the muzzle is not um, equated with food being inside it. So can, it can sense, look yeah. like, all right, dog puts their snout inside the muzzle and I will mark that or I'll tell them good. And then they hear that word and then they pull their nose out of the muzzle and then i reinforce them outside of the muzzle uh so the so the dog's still learning the behavior of putting their nose in the muzzle and the association still happening but we're reinforcing outside so the dog's not associating treats happening inside the muzzle so that's that doesn't happen too often so most of the time you can get away with the super lazy version of just putting mm-hmm. food inside the muzzle dog puts their nose in there and just keep building onto the steps so let's move on to the next the mm-hmm. next strapping part which is where um a lot of dogs will have trouble with too because we're now reaching around their neck so if you have a dog that has kind of a little sensitive to people reaching around the neck or putting a collar on or putting a harness on or any kind of equipment you're going to want to break down that putting on the neck strap part a little more uh, slowly and what you can do is where you're just literally putting the uh, motion of it so you might add, you might with some dogs not even start with the muzzle itself you might just pretend you're reaching around the dog's neck and we're pairing that with good things you know so i'm going to reach around your neck and here's a cookie i'm going to pause for a second i'm going to reach slightly around your neck and here's a cookie pause for a second that pause is to make sure the dog understands what's really happening is that mm-hmm. reaching around the neck predicts the treat and then you start to build in okay let me try to put a regular collar on you and then let me try to put the muzzle strap around your neck but i'm not going to clip it i'm not going to buckle it i'm just going to hold it there for a millisecond so the muzzle strap without the muzzle being on your nose so the muzzle's just hanging down and mm-hmm. the neck strap's going on i'm going to just hold that for a second and then i'm going to give you a treat after and then we're going to rinse and repeat that a few times then you start moving on to clipping the or attaching the neck strap around for just a few seconds without the muzzle actually on the dog's nose and then you gradually can continue building up to now that muzzle's on your nose and now i'm going to put the neck strap on for just a brief second mm-hmm. and then so you can sure you can kind of figure out the gradual steps there it's very gradual and then the dog starts to really um build up a positive association with the muzzle coming on now when you do get the muzzle on you get the neck strap on mm-hmm. the muzzle is looking good dog's got it on the worst thing you can do is stand there and watch to see what happens <laughs> because a lot of dogs 
what they, they've done a beautiful job. They've been excited about the muzzle coming out. So they put their nose in it right away. They get all excited when they see the muzzle. They're fine putting the neck strap on. And then what happens is they stand there like, wait a second, you're not going to take it off now? And then they start experimenting it. Maybe they start rubbing their nose or maybe they start pawing at it. And mm-hmm. then that what happens is it can get self-reinforced if, if worst case scenario, they are able to get the muzzle off. That's the worst thing that can happen is then they'll be like, try to remember doing that in the future. Or they just get irritated and so they start gator rolling on the ground or rubbing their nose in the grass or whatever. So best thing to do, once the muzzle on, start moving, right? Start, so keep mm-hmm. get the dog on a leash. You, this is a good thing to do. Like you should have the leash already on and pretend like you're going for a walk or actually go for a walk. And as you're going for the walk, reinforce the heck out of the dog. Like every mm-hmm. few seconds, treat happens. Treat, 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 treat. As you're walking, just like you're teaching loose leash walking or anything else, and you're going to continually reinforce. Treat, 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 treat. In that way, the dog's going to be like, all right, I'm moving with this thing on my face and I'm getting treats. So there's no need for me to focus on this for a moment, but I'm also getting treats. So it's not so bad. So it's kind of like somebody just figuring out like when they first get ski boots on, they're learning mm-hmm. how to walk with their ski boots on. It's like you, something really weirds on you and you've got to figure out how to function normally yeah. <laughs> with that equipment on same thing with a muzzle. And that's yeah. why like dogs, like, they get a muzzle on, they like, some of them will just freeze and just, they, they, don't move or they think life is over so they don't pee they don't move they don't think like they're completely frozen and that usually just means it's a um a, a acclimation issue it's like mm-hmm. you've got to go back to get the dog acclimated to it or in some cases if you've had a dog with a muzzle and they hate that particular muzzle or that you know they don't like muzzling switch the type of muzzle mm-hmm. it's one of the quick things you can do is let's say they have a baskerville muzzle and they hate it like they see the basketball muzzle and they, they just, life is awful for them when they have the muzzle on. They just flop down. They don't move. They don't do anything. Switch the type of muzzle. Go back, go to new acclimation process, but go to a Jaffco plastic muzzle. So that way the dog's like, huh, this is different. So maybe this time it'll be a little different. Sometimes you can get a little bit of equity in that and you can speed the process up, but don't go back to old habits of just slapping that new muzzle on. Mm-hmm. It's got to be slow and steady. So so that's kind of the uh, the quick and dirty version of muzzle acclimation with troubleshooting some of the, t- the common things I see that can come up yeah. with muzzle acclimation. Yeah, that made a lot of sense. And I think that'll be really helpful. And we'll be sure um, in the show notes to link in some of the videos because it is the sort of thing that is just so helpful to see on video. Um, and I know I've seen some really, really cool, smart videos um, that are probably more useful for a dog that might have... Um, more serious issues being handled or with um, aggression directed towards their owner. Um, hopefully most of our conservation dogs that are listening are, um, are not going to fall into that camp and should be a little bit easier to, uh, you don't have to get super creative with gluing your muzzle, like hanging your muzzle on the wall right. and, yeah. and rewarding them remotely or anything like that. Hopefully. Um, or Bill, we might put those videos in anyway, just because they're cool to see. Um, okay, so I think as we're kind of wrapping up here, because I think that's most of what I wanted to cover, I wanted to, you know, pick your brain as you're, as you're thinking, you know, with clients about, 
um, getting their dog ready to wear muzzles. So say that, you know, I would imagine you don't have to, you don't work with a lot of dogs where predatory um, behavior is the main problem, but you know, they're, they're out and about, they might run into their trigger and that's kind of the same issue. What are some of the other, you know, preventative and management techniques that you like to get in place for your clients um, to just help make sure that we're not slapping the muzzle on and hoping for the best as we go out into the world? Yeah, so you know it's kind of twofold. You want to if if the reason for the muzzle is for for aggression or you know the responses that we we deem undesirable, um, it's important to make sure we're always working with the dog at a level that they can tolerate. Especially when you got a muzzle on, because that can feel restricted to some dogs. Even if we do a lot of good acclimation, it can still suppress some behaviors. It can mm-hmm. still create some anxiety in some dogs. And again, I want to say that's that's the small percentage of dogs. Most dogs, if you acclimate the muzzle well, it's going to be just like any other piece of equipment you put on them. It's just like mm-hmm. a harness, a tracking harness or a um, you know particular type of collar or costume we use on Halloween or whatever it is. <laughs> it's If we acclimate them to wearing it, they're going to be like, this is just another day. It's just a no- normal thing. So it's not going to have much effect on behavior. We don't want that impact on behavior for many reasons. We don't want them feeling additional stress in a potentially already stressful environment. We also don't want to get false positives, you know, so you put a muzzle on some dogs and they, it looks like they're air quotes, big air quotes here. It looks like they're well, well behaved, but they're just being suppressed because they're saying, okay, I got the muzzle on, so I won't do anything. But once it comes off, the game is on. So mm-hmm. important to um, really, really go at the dog's pace. So with my clients, I'm always looking at setting the dog up for success. So using the typical, um, criteria I use to make sure the dog is is not going to have over threshold moments of so things like displaying dis- the behaviors we don't want to see like barking, lunging, growling, snarling, biting. Um, we've, the ways to control that is to make sure you have enough distance from whatever it is they have issues with and make sure the intensity of that particular stimulus is at a level the dog can handle. So if it's if the dog has issues with other dogs I'm, and I'm working around other dogs, that other dog has to be at a sufficient distance for the dog I'm working with is just noticing that other dog. So we're keeping them on a threshold. But it, a lot depends on what the other dog is doing. If that other dog is barking, lunging, growling at the dog I'm handling, that's in t- a lot more intense for the dog I'm handling. So we're going to need much more distance with that particular dog that we're around versus a dog that's just sleeping and minding its own business. I might be able to get much closer. So now when you add the muzzle in, if you have a dog that hasn't been muzzle acclimated and we're just doing it for safety, I might need even more distance because the dog I'm working with is going to feel restricted in their own ability to communicate, their own ability to exhibit certain behaviors. So always keep that in mind. Any Really, that, that has to do with any equipment or any changes mm-hmm. in whatever you're doing with dogs to, to kind of balance that out. And I remembered the other brand of muzzles, Dean and Tyler. Dean and Tyler Tyler makes a lot. They have a lot of different uh, sizes. So if you're shopping for a metal, uh, safe metal muzzle, um, and they have not just metal muzzles, they have a lot of different muzzles, but if you're looking for something safe and uh, looking for a wide range of sizes, uh, Dean and Tyler's one to go to for sure. Hey guys, Kayla here from Canine Conservationists dropping into this episode to tell you about something that I'm really excited to be adding to our Patreon. We have added two additional tiers to our Patreon, the Sensational Scientist and the Canine Conservationist. So you can still join our Patreon for just three bucks a month to submit questions for us to answer at the end of each episode. 
You can also still um, join at 10 bucks a month to submit questions that our experts will help answer. But now for $25 a month, you can join our Patreon and actually join a monthly live training session breakdown. So that means that once a month, we are going to have a video available of me training either Barley or Niffler in conservation dog work. And then we will have a live meeting on Zoom with adult beverages encouraged where we can go over my training process, what I was thinking about in this session, what I'm hoping to get out of it, and what I'm going to do next time. Even better, at the highest level of our Patreon, you can join as a canine conservationist for 50 bucks a month. I know it sounds like a lot, but what you actually get to do there is you get to submit videos of you working with your own dog for me to then help analyze and break down in a kind, supportive, and helpful way. And that will also be available as bonus content for our other patrons. So while it sounds like a lot for Patreon, basically what you're paying for at just 50 bucks a month is for myself and other really excellent trainers to assess your training and work at it in a really cool teamwork sort of way. Um, or for 25 bucks a month, you get access to all of that learning. So if you are serious about trying to get into the field of conservation detection dog stuff, I cannot recommend this enough. I'm really, really excited about this program. And especially if you're listening to this right now, it's still really new. So you are going to get a ton of one-on-one -on -one interaction because there's just not going to be many people there yet. So you can sign up for that over at patreon.com slash canine conservationists. We'll also be sure to link it over on canineconservationists.org. So um, you just have to remember the one link and we will make it really easy to find. I am super excited about this. Our first offering of this is going to be in July. So at the time that you hear this, you'll still have a little bit of time to sign up before our first live video analysis. All right, back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And I, um, gosh, I had something, uh, no, I know one of the things that I've thought about a little bit as, um, you know, we're moving towards, um, our next deployment, um, for, for my dogs and I, um, well, not our next one because we, we luckily our next couple field projects are not all that intense as far as potential for being around prey animals. But I know some of the things I've thought about a lot have, partially come down to the selecting the dogs for this work. Um, I personally don't really like working with um, our, our breeds uh, that are common in detection dog world that may correlate with higher prey drive. Um, so I, like Malinois are really, really common um, and really excellent at a lot of detection dog stuff, but I actually prefer not to work them for um, kind of the prey drive issue. I like more of our, our labs, our spaniels, our border collies that tend to, you know, we can just set, set ourselves up for success in this line of work by not choosing a breed that has um, a more intact predatory sequence. Um, do you have anything you wanted to say there? Yeah, you know, and I was just thinking about the the muzzles for those dogs, going back to the uh -huh. that kind of what to look for with those particular dogs in terms of the safety aspects and the functional aspect that mm -hmm. we were mentioning earlier. What type of muzzles would be best in those kind of scenarios? So I'm thinking that the obviously a softer, lightweight, comfortable muzzle is going to be most appropriate because it's going to allow for um the dog to do the job at, at, at its best 
right? Because it's not mm-hmm. a heavy weighted muzzle. We don't necessarily need to protect somebody from a high bite risk. Um, but you also need something with a lot of airflow to mm-hmm. ensure that the dog is getting the scent and it's not impacted by scent. I imagine even the material would play a role because mm-hmm. some of the muzzles coming straight from a factory probably have some real heavy smells is something to consider in your work um so something that would allow for a lot of um open space around the nose Mm -hmm. uh, around and around the scent area and then uh, that's but but it's going to prevent any teeth from injuring any small critters also Mm -hmm. though from any kind of muzzle punching activity so like something if a dog's got a wire heavy wire cage muzzle on I know from all my experience, it still hurts really bad if they come over and muzzle punch you with that on versus, let's say, a, a biothane made muzzle. It's much softer impact. That makes sense, yeah. So something to consider for the critters, you know, yeah. want very safe. If there is going to be any impact, the, the less the better, I'm sure. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. Those, on those rare circumstances. So something yeah. you should talk to, like, one of the custom ones. You could maybe get, like, yeah. uh, conservation-specific muzzles designed. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm going to peruse Devin and Tyler a little bit as well tonight and see if I think I'll drop in the show notes any that I'm kind of looking at and thinking that they look really um, well-suited. Or I'll, I'll ask, mm-hmm. uh, ask around a little bit as well, because I've seen a couple really cool ones that are almost completely open up top um but then do Mm -hmm. kind of guard the lower half of the jaw um so again they wouldn't completely prevent a bite but probably at least hopefully in a lot of cases it would give whatever animal your dog is after enough time to move away um or give them a good chance or give you a chance to get in there and collect your dog um you know I think, you know, the nightmare scenario would be a conservation dog coming upon um, baby animals of some sort that can't move away or can't protect Mm -hmm. themselves in any way. But, you know, for the majority of cases, what you're more concerned about are things uh, that hopefully can fly or climb or run or burrow away from your dog as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think in most cases, you would imagine just something that prevents a dog from grabbing the animal right away is going to go a long way. And then, you know, just for our handlers at home thinking about, you know, if you know you're coming into an area where you've got a really high risk, and particularly if you know that you've got a dog who's, you know, part of what makes them a great working dog is that drive to chase and grab things, you know, that's what ball drive is in a lot of ways. Um, You know, considering having that dog on a long line, I know that's not always feasible and really thick underbrush, um, putting bells on them and those sorts of things. um, And really just making sure that you're, you're frightening wildlife away as you move through. Cause in most cases, we're not trying to, to um, approach live um, wild animals. We're usually looking for scat or plants. Um, and, and then, you know, obviously, if, if you are trying to find those live animals, then, you know, don't put bells on your dog and try to scare them away, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds really interesting. It's, I have to come along with you one time when you do yeah. that. Yeah, I'll let you know next time I'm in the Northeast. It's a ton of fun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that's everything I had kind of on muzzling um, for our for our conservation dogs. And I'll make sure to drop in, you know, this is going to be a pretty link heavy show notes. Um, do you have anything, uh, you know, upcoming or anything you want to remind our listeners of as we're signing out here um, for where they can find you? Yeah, so everybody can uh, find me. I'm active on a bunch of different places, but the main place to find for the for my podcast or for anything that uh, has to do with aggression is aggressivedog.com. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned I was starting to dabble in uh, Clubhouse, and I've been having fun doing sort of like a 
just a talk show, radio show, interview format there and answering questions on anything that has to do with dog aggression over on Clubhouse. And it's um, mm-hmm. uh, just my name, I think you would search for to do that. And the bitey end of the dog is the Clubhouse room <laughs> for, for that as well. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, and again, we'll, we'll drop all those no- those into the show notes. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope that you get a chance to go outside and play around with your dog some in the next couple days. 